Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text today for this first Sunday in Lent is from the Old Testament reading, Genesis the 22nd chapter, where Moses writes that God tested Abraham and he said to him, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, The the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. So far our text, dear friends, in our Lord Jesus Christ. History is largely made up of fathers who had sons. And throughout history there have been many famous pairs of these progenitors and their progenies. Our own American history Both cultural and political gives us dozens upon dozens of noted father and son combinations. There's the famous father-son acting team of Kirk and Michael Douglas, each an acclaimed actor in his own right. Or Martin and Charlie Sheen or Donald and Kiefer Sutherland. In sports, recall the tandem baseball sensations of Ken Griffey Sr. and Jr. I don't have to tell Bay Area baseball fans about Bobby and Barry Bonds. American politics, too, has given us famous fathers and sons like Presidents John Adams, John Quincy Adams, or more recently, the former Presidents George H.W. Bush and son George W. Bush. But one father-son combination that doesn't often make the famous dads and sons list is that of, of Benjamin Franklin and his son William. When in his famous experiment, Father Ben raised his kite with metal key attached into the thunderstorm, it was his son William at his side, his lone companion. One history writer recounts this father-son team this way. He writes, Together they traveled through the western wilds of Pennsylvania during the French and Indian War. They fought in the colonies' fractious political battles. Ben helped his father, rather Ben helped his son attain the post of royal governor of New Jersey. William's government hired Ben to represent the colony in London. Father Benjamin had a very special working relationship with son William, as both father and son seemed to thrive on and be energized by the work of the other. They were confidants, co-consultants, partners in their work. Though their relationship sadly ended in a great falling out, Benjamin and son William Franklin did, at least for a time, know the special sort of relationship and bond that can exist between a father and his son. Maybe you yourself know it too. Maybe you were blessed in that way in your younger years, maybe more recently. That's been the case for you and your father. Or maybe it will be in time as God works through special circumstances or even difficult circumstances in life to bring two together. How special the relationship can be when it's a father's only son. How then could it now be How could it be as it was now for Abraham? How could it be that after years and even decades of having a son by Sarah only in the imagination of his hopes and his dreams of what could be, how could it now be that after countless nights of Abraham's being on his knees begging the Lord, not for many sons, just for one son by his wife, how could it now be that having, having seen this long ago promise materialize 
so that he could now hold him in his arms and behold him with his eyes and call him by his name and watch him grow? If God is good, how in the world could it now be that Abraham and his only begotten from Sarah, his beloved Isaac, how could it be that they were now ascending that dreadful climb of sacrifice? How could God do this? Having given, how could he take now back? You don't have to be Abraham to know Father Abraham's hurt. We've all at one time or another found ourselves climbing the mountain of sacrifice with the threat of losing the Isaacs of our life, those things that mean the world to us, those things that we don't think that we could do without. We've all found ourselves climbing uncertainties ominous climb, asking ourselves the very same question, how could this now be? How, Lord, could it be that you're now taking from me abilities or, or health that I just don't think I can do without? Lord, how can it now be that, that you're taking from me one that I so dearly love, one that I don't think I can do without? How can it now, Lord, be? We've all been there. We've all been there in the storm's fury with Abraham in the tempest in the tempest where the warm front of God's promises and assurances to his own collides with the cold reality of what he's requiring of his own there in that tempest promises crashing into the present reality so often precipitating in that question why God You've been there. If not, you will be. The Germans have a word for the anguish of that kind of internal tension, of trying to reconcile the promise with the present reality, calling faith itself into question. They call it anfechtung. Anfechtung, the, the tension of trying to reconcile the promise with the present. Faith. Hope's fruition, faith's validation, squarely challenged on life's Mount Moriahs, be they big or small. In life's anfectum, the temptation is to trust in the Lord with half of our heart, lean mostly on our own understanding, and we so often do it, just like Abraham did it. Not in today's account, but certainly previously and prior when early on he saw no sign of this promised son. And so what did he do? Leaning on his own understanding, he sired a son, remember, by his servant girl, Ishmael. Or recall Israel of old, who, whom God tested in the desert, in the wilderness, withholding food and water for a time from them. What did they do? Did they patiently wait upon the hand of the Lord and, and his promise that he would provide for them? Did they patiently endure the trial as did our Lord for those 40 long days in the wilderness? No. No, they grumbled and loudly, even daring to question the wisdom of God in bringing them out of Egypt. And you know your own time in the wilderness. Each of us knows better than any other here the kind of trouble that we've created for ourselves when we, like Abraham before us, have taken matters into our own hands instead of relying on God's promises. Each of us knows how loudly we've complained like the children of Israel before 
How loudly we've complained when the manna has been withheld from us for a time. Dear friends, it was poor old Job. Remember Job? It was Job who said it well, having in a single day lost not one of his children, but all of them. In a single day, losing not only his children, but all of his wealth, it was Job whose wife told him, curse God and die. Having fallen so ill and sick, it was Job who gave us this thought. He said, shall we indeed accept good from God and then not adversity from his hand? In the text for today, Abraham, like Job, refused to curse God and die, but by grace that God alone gives, he clung to that promise. And the promise was this. Abraham, as many as the stars in the sky, so will your descendants be. That was the promise. Walking up that dreadful climb, beholding beside him the promise enfleshed his son, Isaac. He knew that God kept that promise. And he knew that God would keep the promise of descendants too. And so therefore, with more confidence in God's promise than in the present appearance of things, Abraham made a mighty confession to those two servants. Do you remember in the Old Testament reading what he said? He said to those servants that came with, he said, you two stay here. We, my son and I, we will worship and we will come back to you. Abraham, rather, Luther said that these were Abraham's thoughts. He said, today I have a son. Tomorrow I shall have nothing but ashes. I don't know how long they will lie scattered, but they will be brought back to life again, whether this happens while I'm still alive or a thousand years after I'm gone. For the word declares that I shall have descendants through Isaac, even though he's been reduced to ashes. Confidence in the promises of God. Friends, climb your Mount Moriahs with that very same confidence in his promises. Whether the Lord returns to you, your Isaacs now, by his own design, or you have to wait for them to be restored a hundredfold over on heaven's side of the mountain, nevertheless climb. Climb with certainty every challenging ascent that would be uncertain. Climb, climb knowing God's promises cannot fail. And do you know why you can climb with such certainty? You can climb with certainty knowing that all is working together for your good according to God's promise and purpose. You can climb with certainty because a certain father was willing to give up his son. And I'm not talking about Abraham. As godly an example as Abraham is here in this text, the account ultimately, ultimately is not about the father who almost gave up his son. It really points us to the father who did. This account is not ultimately about Abraham's faithfulness, but ultimately it's about God's faithfulness in keeping his promises to us. Ultimately, the account here today is not about the son of Abraham who carried the load of wood for the sacrifice on his back. It's about the son of God who carried the weight of the world's sin upon his shoulders. For it was no accident 
at all that a male lamb, a ram, was caught in a thicket nearby the altar of sacrifice. For Isaac's sake, God's lamb entered into the thicket that day for the sake of the world and for the life of the world. The Lamb of God on a future day and on an eternal altar would enter into the thicket of our sin and onto the altar and onto the altar of the cross, all because a certain father, God the Father, was willing to permit the sacrifice of his willing son. It reminds me of a certain father you may well have heard of before. A particular man had the duty to raise a drawbridge and to allow steamers to pass by on the river below and then to lower the drawbridge again to allow passenger trains to cross over the river and onto the land on the other side. One day this man's son visited him at work. He had heard so much about what his dad did at work as they talked around the dinner table and the young boy was excited to see his dad doing what his dad did. He was a curious boy, this boy, as he visited his dad at work, as most boys are curious. But being curious, he peeked into a particular trap door that was always open so that his dad could keep an eye on the mighty gears below that raised and that lowered the drawbridge. Well, suddenly the curious boy lost his footing. And he tumbled down into the gears. Well, the father quickly, of course, reached down to pull him out, but the boy was caught in the gears. And just then, the father heard the whistle of an approaching train. Frantically, he tried to free his son, but to no avail, and his heart sank. He knew the train would be full of people, and that it would be impossible to stop the fast-moving locomotive. The bridge had to be lowered. If he saved the people, his son would be crushed in the cogs. If he saved his son, all aboard the train would surely be lost. He loved his son. With tears welling up in his eyes, he reached down and he grabbed hold of the lever and he pulled the lever. And all of the people were saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And his son, unlike that little boy in the account, he knew exactly and precisely what he was doing. God's son went uncomplaining forth into the thicket of our sin, onto the sacrificial altar of the cross, silent as the lamb in today's text he went. Why? Quite simply, dear Isaac, he went to die in your place. The renowned 17th century Lutheran hymnist Paul Gerhardt, with whom we've become rather familiar over the past couple of years here, Gerhardt tenderly depicts in hymnic rhyme the love for the fa- of the Father for us in his Son in a hymn that's been called the masterpiece of passion hymns. A lamb goes uncomplaining forth. We'll sing it in a few minutes. In this hymn he writes this. 
This Lamb is Christ, the soul's great friend, the Lamb of God, our Savior, whom God the Father chose to send to gain for us his favor. And then the Father speaks, Go forth, my son, the Father said, and free my children from their dread of death and condemnation. The wrath and stripes are hard to bear, but by your passion they will share the fruit of your salvation. And then in this next verse, the Son answers. And he says, Yes, Father. Yes, most willingly, I'll bear what you command me. My will conforms to your decree. I'll do what you have asked me. And then the hymnist wonders in amazement. Oh, wondrous love, what have you done? The Father offers up his Son, desiring our salvation. Oh, love, how strong you are to save. You lay the one into the grave who built the earth's foundation. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, when we find ourselves like Abraham, standing at the foot of a climb of uncertainty, then in the face of the present reality and situation, remember this promise of God, He who spared not His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, How will he then not freely give us all things needful? God himself has provided sacrifice and all. Remain seated, but join now with me in singing our post-sermon hymn, that masterpiece of all passion hymns, hymn 438, A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth. 